it's now 11 months since we went into lockdown. It's 11 months since I was sat upstairs in the office upstairs and was told, you need to go home now and you need to take your things with you. And I wouldn't have anticipated that 11 months later, I still wouldn't have sat in that chair that I was sitting in that day. And the last year has changed things in so many ways for us. It's, it's invited questions as to, as to what things look like for us. As a church, we've looked at, you know, what does it mean to be church? What does it mean to be uh, family? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to have faith? What's the essence of it? Inside and outside the church, we've looked at, you know, we've thought about what's community, what is family, what is, what's it meant to be? But there's another question I want to invite us to look at today for a few minutes. It's an important question, I think, as we look back over the last year, as we look towards the year to come. And it's this. How do we navigate the sufferings of life? The competing pressures, the isolation, the financial worry... The anxiety, the disappointment, the, the injustice, the betrayal, the family turmoil that we go through, mental illness, physical sickness, a shock diagnosis, and even death. How do we navigate suffering? You know, what do the contents of the Bible tell us about how we navigate suffering? And more importantly this morning, I want us to reflect a bit on how God might be involved in that journey. And this isn't an abstract thing. It's it's one that for each of us, we'll have our own set of circumstances and situations over this year that means that for us, when we hear maybe what may be the greatest understatement in the Bible, something that Jesus said, recorded at John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. It means something to us. This year, we have had trouble in our church family and beyond. I know of situation after situation, individuals, families, couples who've gone through pain and loss and grief in this time. Dozens in in this church community have lost loved ones this year, some to COVID, all affected by COVID. People haven't been able to gather, to mourn together in the way they otherwise might have done. Someone able to be with loved ones as they died. Others in our community have lost loved ones many years ago, but this season has exacerbated their pain. Some have continued to deal with the impact of isolation. Others are dealing with relational discord. Parents are having to juggle all sorts of things, education, caring for their children, Trying, working or trying to find work. People have financial pressures. People have had relational breakdown in this season. There's been significant health diagnoses for others. Last May, we, we witnessed the brutal killing of George Floyd and that impacted many in our church community as they reflected on their own experiences of injustice. Children and young adults haven't been able to go through the normal rites of passage going from year six into secondary school, going from secondary school into the life of work or the life of university. Graduates haven't been able to graduate in the way they otherwise might have done. I was talking to a friend the other day and his, he, they had to move his nan uh, during the, a, few, a couple of weeks ago and they had to do it urgently. 
And they weren't able to do the normal relational things that you would do in caring for someone in that time. They just had to go do the job and get on with it and then go home. And these things have impacted us all. And for many of us in, in this community also, we've had the struggle of mental health, whether existing mental health problems or new mental health challenges. And so this isn't theoretical. This is the reality of people's situations now. It may be the reality of your situation today. And as a church, we have a way of looking at that, a way of processing that in terms of theology or a lens that we look through. We call it the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. It helps to explain why good and bad things happen, why healing happens but not at other times. You know, Jesus' kingdom has, full, has come, but it has not yet fully come. And it won't fully come until he returns. And so we live in this tension. And while that explanation can be helpful in itself, it doesn't mean we process the problem. And so we look to the story of Scripture. We look to God's story and humanity's story that is told to us through the Bible. And through that, we see how God's people have journeyed through the struggles of life throughout history. We see how we are invited to journey in faith to believe that we will see change. We're, we're invited to stand on the promises of God. We're invited to know our identity in Christ. But as I read through the Bible, there's another theme that runs through it, another invitation, another calling. As well as all these things, we are called to grieve. We are called to lament and through Scripture, we see time and time again that grief and lament is a necessary part of the journey of life. In Psalm 126, it says this. Verses 5 to 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And so the story of God and his relationship with humanity is continually seasoned and punctuated by the outpouring of grief and lament. So as we read the story of Job, as we journey through lamentations, as we uh, read and reflect on the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and as we pray through the Psalms, those songs, those prayers, full of heartfelt cries to God. And then ultimately, our teacher, our saviour, our model of a well-lived life, Jesus was a man who was described and who was prophesied that he would be a man of sorrows, a man who would be familiar with grief. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was familiar with sorrow. And it's part of the reality of our journey too. In fact, it's part of, if we're invited to follow him, we will be acquainted 
with grief. And he promises to walk with us in our grief, in our pain, in our lament. So as we reflect on our own personal experiences of loss and of pain and of confusion and of doubt this year, how do we process it? Well, there's just a couple of things that I want to just highlight that I think that the scriptures show us as to how we might do that. You know, how do we grieve? How do we lament the tragedies of life? And we find it in God's word, his written word. We find it in his living word, Jesus. And there are two invitations that I think he wants to make to us today. That we come with honesty and that we come with hope. So first, we come with honesty. We say it as it really is. Over the last couple of years, you know, I, I've reflected a lot over the fact that I can't unknow what I know. I can't unsee what I see. I can't unexperience what I have experienced. The pain of loss, the, the sting of injustice, even at times the stab of betrayal. So somehow I need to face it. Somehow I need to deal with it with reality, with honesty. And this is where I find the Bible so helpful. I was recently reading through the book of Job. And as you read through the book of Job, it's the story of a man who suffered terribly. But in the midst of that story, he just came to God in honesty and truth. And he said it as it really is. As I read through the Psalms, I read prayer time after time after time of sometimes brutal honesty of God. Prayers, as in the words of Psalm 126, that are sown with tears. And it's in the Psalms that we're shown how to journey. You know, the Psalms have been sung by millions of people over thousands of years to journey through the pains of life. It was the hymn book of the people of Israel. The early church are recorded as singing and praying Psalms. And since then, generation after generation in the church have used the Psalms to journey through life. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. So he would have known off by heart prayers like, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy, by the enemy? See, we don't need to dress it up for God. We can bring our whys to him, our distress, our frustration, our anger, our sense of injustice, our depth of pain. This week, as was said earlier, we, we, we went into Lent the time in the church calendar where we reflect particularly on the sufferings of Jesus. And in preparing for this talk, I was reading the accounts this week of the, the hours leading up to Jesus', Jesus crucifixion. And one of the things that I was struck by was Jesus' vulnerability in that moment, his honesty. He came before his father in the garden of, of Gethsemane. And he expressed his anxiety with honesty. He, he came to his friends in that garden and he said, my soul, at Matthew 26, 38, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
And then less than 24 hours later, Jesus prayed what may be the most brutally honest and vulnerable prayer recorded in human history. As he hung on the cross, as he took on himself the weight of our sin and the sin of this world, he cried out a prayer, a prayer that came straight out of the Psalms. It's from Psalm 22. It's recorded at Matthew 27, verse 46, as this. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, God's invitation to you and to me is to come to him with absolute honesty, to express to him exactly where we are and where we're at. But he doesn't just invite us to come with honesty. He invites us to come with hope, to receive hope. You see, like Jesus' death on the cross was not the end of the story. Our present sufferings are not the end of the story. Like in Psalm 126, where it says we, say, we sow in tears, it says that one day we will ultimately reap with songs of joy. And part of how we um, come to that place is by seasoning our honesty with hope. Ultimate hope, eternal hope. You know, we pray for, for changed circumstance. We pray in faith. We hear stories like we've even heard today of people being miraculously healed. But also, we come with honesty and hope to God because it's the hope of Jesus that sees us through the darkest of times. Following the, the, the murder of George Floyd last, last May, I, over the summer, I was rereading the, uh, some of the writings of Martin Luther King, some of his sermons. And I read one in particular that struck me in particular that I've read a number of times since. And it was a sermon that he delivered on the 5th of April, 1959, to his church in Montgomery, Alabama. They'd seen some uh, victories in the civil rights movement up to that point, but they were enduring a lot of disappointment and discouragement. And the title of the, the sermon that he delivered that day was called Shattered Dreams. And he was trying to find a way of encouraging his people in that time. And in that sermon, he said this. What then is the answer? The answer lies in a willing acceptance of unwanted and unfortunate circumstances, even as we still cling to a radiant hope. Our acceptance of finite disappointment, even as we adhere to infinite hope. Finite disappointment, infinite hope. I've reflected on those four words a lot over the last six months. Finite disappointment, infinite hope. And I was thinking the other day about this and thinking, Dr. King, when he was sharing those words, he wasn't minimising the disappointment. The disappointment was huge. He and his community were, were enduring violence, threats of violence. They had continued daily cruelties against them. They had continuing humiliation. They, had, they were facing the slowness of change. See, he wasn't diminishing 
the disappointment. He was highlighting the enormity of the hope that is found in Jesus. And it's the same for you. It's the same for me as we face the things that we face today, both in life and in death. It's the same as we deal with bereavement, sickness, isolation, mental illness, financial uncertainty, injustice. Um, Many in our city, even tonight, will deal with uh, the reality of food poverty. Brothers and sisters around the world today are dealing with persecution. Huge disappointment. But in the words of Martin Luther King, um, finite disappointment when compared to the infinite hope in Jesus. That's described in, in, uh, by Peter in his letter, in his first letter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil perish, spoil, or fade. But what I'm describing here is not a two-step recipe to get beyond suffering. You know, apply one measure of honesty, add a measure of hope, and then we're through the other side. The The reality is that grief and hope, they intertwine with one another. The reality is, is that you and I, when we suffer, we are changed. We are changed by our suffering. The real question is, how are we going to be changed? Will our suffering produce bitterness and resentment? Or will it produce in us a daily encounter with the living hope who is Jesus? And we're going to move into um, a time of prayer in a moment. Before we do that, I just want to mention two things very briefly. As I said earlier, many in our church community have lost loved ones um, in this season. Even in the last week, people have lost loved ones. There are also people who are grieving who have lost loved ones some years ago or many years ago where their pain has been exacerbated in this season. And on Friday the 19th of March, we're going to come together. It's likely to be online together and we're going to have a remembrance service for all in our church community who would want to come And we will remember and give thanks for our loved ones on that evening. And finally, it might be that as you've been listening, you you might want to explore the Psalms in in looking at these different challenges of life. And if if that's you, then a book that I know uh, that people have found really helpful is a book by Tim Keller. It's a daily reflection. It's My Rock, My Refuge. And I know many people have found that a really helpful read.